Well, y'all remember to pray for her. We're going to lift them all up in prayer. We're going to take them all to the throne of the Lord. Is there any other request before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning? Yes, Mama. Yes. Okay, yes. Lift, lift my Aunt Mary Ruth in prayer. Lift up uh, Ricky Pierce and his family uh, after the loss of his wife. And she went through a horrible ordeal. Uh, went all the way from a lung transplant to having the thing breathed for her, and she had to, her brain swelled, and they had to take the top of her, you know, had to do all that to kind of get the swelling down, and, and she had a stroke and passed away. So pre- please pray for that family. that God will give them comfort. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to meet with us this morning. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated. Just left just a couple of days ago, 
he and his wife Valerie, and they're making a trip up to the northeast. And uh, I think their purpose is to go to Vermont, where there's a, a preacher there they're going to preach for. But they, they left out of Linden, Texas, with a trailer loaded up with 2,000 of those crosses, and they headed up north. Uh, yesterday, they were in West Virginia. And uh, I'm just amazed at how God uses them. I'm just going to share with you just a little bit. I've been seeing his post day after day, and uh, he's posting, well, six saved here and five saved here, and the one saved here. Yesterday in West Virginia, they saw 16 people trust Christ as Savior. 16 people. A lot of those called their number on the back of the trailer as they had them pull over. 16 in one day. Y'all hear me? That's a revival meeting week of salvations, and everybody's shouting their, their, their brains out. At the end of the week, the 16 people get saved in a week-long meeting. This was one day, and they weren't even looking. They were just stopped, and they come to them. God has his hand all over that ministry, and and, and, I, and I don't know about you, but I feel like we ought to be doing a little more supporting. They're getting people saved every single day of the world. Amen? Somebody doing that, I'll support them with everything I got. Amen? Let's, let's sing another. Praise God. I just want to share that with you because he gets me excited every time he posts because it's somebody getting saved. Amen? 531. 531. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all, bring forth the royal Crown him Lord of all. He chosen seed of Israel's race, he ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saved. Lord of all. Hail him who saved you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe call this terrestrial ball. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throne we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the and crown him Lord of all. 216. 216. Huh? Yes. 
tailing up. She's doing good. All right. Yeah, while we stop for a second, if you want to, we could sing happy birthday. Who'd you say had a birthday? <laughs> really? That's right. I remember seeing that. Yeah, Donnie had a birthday, and Miss Eva got a birthday tomorrow, am I right? <laughs> we'll knock out two birds, one stone, y'all. We'll just sing happy birthday, God bless you, since both of them. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, let's sing number 216. Dwelling in Beulah Land. That wasn't it. <laughs> now it's different keys. Flip one page back, we'll do that one. Flip one page back, we'll do my Jesus, I love you. That's all right. Two fifteen. Let's do two fifteen. We have them senior moments. It happens to all of us. I have them. Don't happen to you, it happens to me. Two fifteen. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the folly of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior or Thou, if ever I love thee, my Jesus is now. I love thee because Thou hast first loved me and purchased on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my King is now. I love thee in life. I will love thee in and praise thee as long as thou lettest me breath. And say when the dead do lie cold on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus is now in man. And in blessed delight, I'll ever adore in heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow. If ever I love thee, 
But I was sitting there this morning, just made my coffee, and I was <coughs> had this song cross my mind. Maybe you know it. It's not in our book. I look back at the All American. It's not in there either. So pray I'll remember the words to it. Verse 17. 
We're going to hit four verses this morning, four. And we shouldn't be an awful long time this morning, but I'm not going to promise you how short it's going to be because then you'd say, well, you lied to me. And I'd say, well, I didn't mean to. And then we'd have that whole argument. So anyway, so we're just going to get into the Bible this morning, and uh, we're going to see what God has for us. But I'm sure glad to be home. Amen. I love being gone. I enjoyed it. Had a great trip. Didn't have any troubles uh, to speak of. Didn't, didn't have any vehicle troubles. Didn't have any troubles with the thing we anything we did. Uh, only thing was I, I couldn't eat all the food I wanted to eat. That was the only problem I had. I tried, but I couldn't do it. My stomach just wouldn't hold it all. It was all good. I mean, tell you the best seafood I've had, and I couldn't tell you how long. It's all fresh, and and people were friendly. We had a blessing. I'm very thankful to you, church, for for uh, letting us go and enjoy ourselves and have some rest. But I'm glad to be back. Amen. I want to, I want to read this morning from verse. First uh, Thessalonians chapter two verse seventeen through twenty. Follow with me in your Bible. And and Paul said, "But we brethren, taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I Paul once and again, but Satan hindered us." For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. And let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you, Lord, for getting us home safe, Lord. Thank you for getting us, Lord, up and, and awake and over here this morning to meet with the folks at Temple Baptist. And, Lord, to uh, reach out through the Internet waves, Lord, throughout this world. Lord, we realize we're reaching we're reaching to the other side of the world, Father. Lord, and all around us, Father, this little old church broadcasting the message of the Word of God. Lord, hundreds hearing the message every week outside this church. Father, I'm so thrilled. And Lord, I just pray the Word of God just continue to go as far as it'll go. And Lord, let us be a blessing to as many people as we possibly can. Father, I pray that you put your hand on me this morning. Lord, I want to be used of you. Father, more than I want to breathe, I want to be used of you. I want to be your servant. I want, Lord, to be your vessel, your instrument. Take me and use me for your glory. May Jesus be glorified. Lord, may the word of God be uh, preached truthfully and, and, Father, effectively. Lord, it can only happen through you. I can't do it without you, Lord. I know that. So I put myself in your hands. I ask you to meet each need of everyone under the sound of my voice. Holy Ghost, empower me this morning to preach, and I'll give Jesus all the glory and the credit for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the, the, the title of the message this morning, I guess I'll just title it, But Satan Hindered Us. Uh, he did. He hindered Paul. As you know, Paul, again, I'm going to go back over here to the map. As you know, Paul is here in Thessalonica. He's, he's traveled all the way from from Antioch, I'm trying Antioch over here on the map, Antioch right here. They've traveled over here to Thessalonica, and uh, he's established that church. And while they were there in those three weeks, some of the Jews got angry, as they always did whenever Paul preached. He preached Christ and him crucified. They were jealous because people were leaving the synagogue, and they were beginning to follow Paul. And, and so, as they often did, they were persecuted. And the Bible says that they assaulted the house of Jason, which is the 
the house where Paul and the Christian, uh, the new believers were meeting. Jason and his family opened up their house as a meeting house. There were no buildings with steeples and, and, and big parking lots and gymnasiums and all those things. It wasn't none of that. It was, where can we meet? We'll meet in our house, okay? So these people found out where the believers were meeting, and they went there, and they assaulted the house of Jason, which means they were violently arrested, and they were brought down, and uh, they they had to post bond. They had to uh, make bond and released, and and uh, Paul and and uh, Paul and Silas they were escorted out of the city over to Berea. They were told to get out, not by the church, but by the officials. Uh, they they were in trouble. If they hadn't got out of there, they were they would likely have been dead. So Paul is writing this letter. He's not he's not in Thessalonica. He's down the road, and uh, but like he said, he said we were taken from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart. We got removed from there, but we wanted abundantly to see your face. We could, Paul could, couldn't, he couldn't wait to see him again, even though, as far as I know, he never saw them again. Uh, he couldn't wait to, he wanted to go and see them. So he had a longing for these disciples. I want you to see this morning in verses 17, 18, his longing to see them. He opened his heart again to these Thessalonian believers, how much he longed to see them. You know, again, they just got saved. You gotta, you gotta realize, God worked mightily in the city of Thessalonica. This church, uh, it was established quickly, and these people, they, they turned from their idols, they turned from everything they'd ever known to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior to have everlasting life. They turned from a lot of, a lot of sinful ways and, and believed on Him and began to to live as believers should, as they were taught by Paul while he was there. And so Paul, he was, Paul was literally ripped away from them. And uh, because of the persecution, they got stirred up because of those Jews. You know, he, he said that we were taken from you, and it literally meant torn away or orphans. We were ripped away from you and left you orphaned there. They had been expelled from Thessalonica suddenly and separated from their dear children in the faith. That's the way Paul looked at them. He looked at them like they were his children. And, I mean, he birthed them into the family of God, so he had a reason to see them that way. In Acts chapter 17, verse 10, it gives the account of this, and it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea. They did it by night so they wouldn't be seen. They did it by night so they wouldn't be captured. Whose coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul carried on normal thing he would do when he goes into a town. But boy, his heart hurt. His heart ached. Well, he wanted to see him. I mean, you can imagine. Again, he'd had great success there. And then he separated from them, and they're newborn babes in Christ, and he knows the needs that they're going to have. And oh, he wanted to be there. He wanted to take care of them. You know, when, when you and I, we have loved ones that are away from us, maybe they live far away from us or whatever, and we find out that they're going through they're going through hard times, afflictions, different things. You know, our heart hurts for them. We want to drop everything and go to them and be there and comfort them and help them any way we can. We why? Because we think they need us for some reason, and we want to give them our comfort that we can. We want to give them the help that we can. And Paul wasn't any different. Paul was the same way. But the problem was he couldn't go back. He could not go back. And I know there's some commentators who think that. The reason he didn't go back is because he had some health issues or 
and because he lost his sight. Second, they they point at Second Corinthians twelve seven, where he says, "Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there were given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." And then they look at verse four, uh, Galatians four fifteen, which says, "Where is then the blessedness she spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible." You would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So I, there's no denying Paul had some limitations. He had problems. He had eyesight problems. And all those things are possible, but it seems foreign to the context because this is early on. It doesn't fit the timeline. Those things were written later on. So when we, when we look back at why he didn't go, when we look at what we have in Acts 17, which is the account of it, it seems easier to believe that, that Paul, if he'd have went back, it, first of all, it would have cost Jason and his family their bond that they had to post, so they put them in financial hardships because, again, they were they were arrested because of Paul. Uh, but if he'd have gone back, he probably would have died. He'd probably been a martyr for the faith and cut short the ministry that God had for him. So it's a good thing that it didn't. You know, we were, we just talked in Sunday school about troubles. Why they happen? Well, these there again. God allowed these troubles to happen for a reason because God wanted Paul to continue his ministry. And if Paul had been able to go back, he probably wouldn't have made it any further. <clears throat> Satan, the word Satan means adversary. Your opponent, your adversary. And Paul's adversary hindered him. Sometimes the devil gets in my way. Sometimes the devil gets in your way, doesn't he? Can I get amen? I'm telling you, it happens. And the word hinder in the Greek, it's used in a military sense, like in a military conquest, the military will break up a road, they'll tear the road up, or they'll tear up the train tracks. Why are they doing that? They're trying to hinder the army from proceeding forward. They're trying to break up their way and hinder them from being able to move their forces forward and therefore stop their, their onslaught. And so the thought of, the thought of this is, that the way back to Thessalonica for Paul, they've made it impassable. He can't go. They tore up the road where he can't go, so to speak. Satan had done that. He tore up the road between Paul and, and the Thessalonians, and Paul couldn't get through. Even though his heart hurt, he longed to see him and, and to be a further help to him. Even though he wanted to, he couldn't do it. He knew firsthand how intense and ferocious the spiritual warfare can be. It can be, very much so. Satan is constantly at work in our churches, constantly trying to wreak, uh, wreak havoc, trying to, to cause destruction, trying to cause divisions, trying to cause dis discouragement and doubt and all those things in our churches. Somebody said, when, when God is at work, you can be sure Satan's alongside somewhere. He's always wanting to, to disrupt the plans and, and the work of God. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Christ is building, though, the devil is committed to destroying it. He can't have it. He don't want it. So it's not surprising that we can see Satan visible in, in a lot of the New Testament churches. I'll give you some examples. In Jerusalem, in Acts 5, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 5 we have the story of Ananias, and Sapphira, who sold a piece of land and wanted to look good for the church, and we're going to bring our money, but 
hey, let's, we don't have to give them all this. Let's, let's keep part of it. We want, you know, you always want to buy this, that, you know, that whatever it was he wanted to buy. And, and or, or, or maybe I might want you to spend that money on me or whatever it was. Whatever the reason was, they said, this is all of it. And of course, they were lying. And Peter, and God told Peter in his, in his heart, his soul, hey, they're lying to you. And Peter said, why are you lying to the Holy Ghost? He dropped dead right there. Satan was trying, and, and then later she prayed it in there like, look at me, I'm somebody. Look at what my husband did. Bang, she fell flat in the floor dead. So Satan was trying to destroy that church. He, was, he had a good foothold in the early New Testament church, the very first one. Then we go down the road to Corinth. I know you all know the story down there. They had all kinds of problems. I mean, they was jealous of one another. They was they was getting drunk at the Lord's Supper table. That, and, and there was a man in that church, and he was having an affair with his stepmother. And Paul addressed that. Oh, yeah, it's awful. Sins, I've seen your eyes get big down there. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, the, God doesn't hide the sins of man in the Bible. That's one reason I know for sure this is God's word, because if man had wrote it about himself, he'd have left out a lot of stuff. Amen? He wouldn't want everybody to know. Amen? Listen, God put it in there. There was a young man, and he was having an affair with his stepmother, and Paul said, listen, listen, y'all need to put him out of the church because they were okay. He must have been in a prominent family. They must have given a lot of money, you know, or something like that. And they said, oh, we don't want to cause any waves. We'll lose our offerings. You know, I don't know that's what it was, but there was a reason why they were accepting that behavior. Satan had got a foothold in that church. And Paul come in and said, no, y'all need to put him out. Y'all need to take His exact words was turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in, in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, if he's saved, he's going to heaven, but you need to get that, that filth out of your church because the little leaven leaven is a whole lump and you need to get it out of there. And they did. They put him out. And he's writing back to them in 2 Corinthians 2 and telling them it's been long enough. You need to forgive him. He's changed. Let him back in. But the devil was trying to destroy that work there in Corinth. In Ephesus, in Ephesus, in 1 Timothy 3, 6 and 7, we read that, that Satan was, was, was getting a hold of young preachers and causing them to be, be puffed up with pride and thinking they were something that they weren't, trying to destroy the churches that way. Uh, in, uh, in Smyrna, we read in Revelation 2, 9 and 10, uh, where Christians were persecuted by devil-possessed Jewish leaders. They, they, they were trying their best to destroy the church there in Pergamum. Uh, where the, the Bible tells us Satan's seat is there. Uh, that's pre-Catholic Babylonianism. When the Babylonian Empire fell, they took the cult. Alexander the Great took it, and they brought it right back, and they set it right down there in Pergamus. And, and that's where that later married with the Roman, the Roman uh, uh, paganism and became the Roman Catholic Church, if you ever wondered where it all came from. But anyway, the devil was hot at work there in Thyatira, in Revelation 2:24, they tolerated the sins of a of a woman-led sex cult. She was called Jezebel, and those people were allowing those kind of things to go on. And they were just saying, "Oh well, it's just what everybody's doing." You know, we look at things in our world today, and we say the same thing. Well, everybody's doing that now, so you know, we don't look at it like we used to look at sin in certain areas because everybody's got it in their family somewhere. Somebody knows somebody is involved with this sin or that sin. So we don't look down on it near as much as we used to because there's people we care about involved. But the truth of it is, sin is sin. Ugly is ugly, and the devil's the devil. And you can't put 
Listen, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig, and you can paint the devil all up pretty, but he's still the devil, and he still wants you, and he still would send you to hell if he could. Amen? Sin, sin's still wicked, and God's still right. Amen? Amen. And then in Philadelphia, in Revelation 3, chapter nine, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, uh, they were slandered by satanic Jews who were trying to destroy them. So they have gotten... Uh, over and over and over and over, the devil has gotten his way worked into these churches to try to destroy them. So we can add the church of Thessalonica to the list. But what we need to be comforted by, and I think this Sunday school kind of goes hand in hand, it ought to be comforting for us to recognize that God uses even the opposition of the devil to accomplish his own good purposes. The devil don't realize that God's using him sometimes. Somebody had said to me one time a long time ago, why in the world would God make the devil? Well, God needed a switch or a pattern. Amen? God, hey, God uses the devil. He allows him, see, in the case of Job that we talked about in Sunday school, God allows the devil sometimes to, he allows him to, to bring trouble into our life in order that we might turn back to God. He allows him to have a little bit of room to work so that so that we're afflicted and we say, oh, I need my Heavenly Father. Uh, that doesn't happen unless we're off in it our own self. Amen. God don't have to do that. <clears throat> but like I said, God uses the opposition of the devil to accomplish his own good purposes. And here's what I'm saying. If Paul had gone back, then we probably wouldn't have had this letter we're looking at today. He would have been dead. There would have been no way to write First Thessalonians or much less Second Thessalonians. And there's so much good good uh, doctrine in these two books, in these two letters. We need these two letters. God in his, in his sovereign wisdom, he knew what had to happen. He, even though Paul, his heart was torn to pieces and he couldn't understand why he couldn't go back. Why, God, won't you let me go back? I don't understand. Our human reasoning sometimes can't see what God is doing. Even though Satan hindered us sometimes, God uses that because we know. The Bible, I quoted it just a little bit ago. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things, even when the devil tries to do things for bad, all things work together for good. Amen? That, that doesn't mean we should, shouldn't still resist the devil. But listen. The fact that the trouble comes, God is allowing that again to move us, to drive us to him. Um, God is sovereign. Nothing escapes him. Nothing tricks him. He's not fooled by anything. And he always, let me just say that again, he always overcomes the works of the enemy. Always. You say, well, it didn't look like it to me. Well, you can't see what happened beyond what you saw. Our vision is limited. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. We can't know all the answers down here with this finite mind. But we trust that God is in control, amen, even though we don't understand sometimes. But let's get on to verses 19 and 20. So he talked about Satan hindering them, all right? But he changes his tune right then and he shifts away from the negative to the positive. He says in verses 19 and 20, for what is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Paul gives 
them this sobering description of Satan hindering him. He didn't want to leave them on a bad note. He wanted them to know that everything wasn't lost. Even though even though I'm not going to get to come back, even though we're not going to get to have some seminars and lectures and times of teaching where I'll be able to take you through everything step by step, everything's not lost. There's a bright spot, and it gets repeated over and over throughout this epistle. And that bright spot is this. That's the triumphant theme of the coming of the Lord and the joy that's going to be ours when Jesus comes. And that's repeated over and over throughout this epistle and even into the second. We can ask with Paul in verse 19, well, what is our hope? I mean, the devil's doing so much stuff down here. The devil's causing so much grief down here. What is our hope? What is the future hold for us? Do we have a real hope? If you've been born again, you do. If you're a child of God, you have hope. If you're a lost sinner out in this world trying to find meaning in science or philosophy, then you have no hope. But my friend, if you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if your sins have been washed clean in the blood of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, then my friend, you've got all the hope in the world. But if our hope's not in Christ, we have no foundation for our hope to be built upon. Paul also asked the question, what is our joy or crown of rejoicing? He was he was looking forward to that glad reunion day when our journey down here is over with and we're ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus with all the rest of the Christians. Paul's picture in the rapture of the church when Christ comes for his own and takes us home to glory. And after we get there, all believers are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive reward or loss of reward, whatever you got coming to you. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear, that means you, before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, before you get some doubt swirling in your head, let's put it this way. Is God ever going to bring your sin up again if you're saved? Ever? No. If God brought your sin up, guess where he'd have to send you? He'd have to send you to hell. But guess what? God going to see our sin because our sins are gone. Amen. Our sins have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They're gone as far as the east is from the west. They're cast behind his back, thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. They're remembered no more. So what is this good or bad? Well, I'm not a golfer, and I'm not a baseball player. I have a bad golf swing, and I have a bad baseball swing. That doesn't mean it's sinful. It just means I ain't no good at it. You know what? There's people down here that are saved, but they ain't no good at living the Christian life. They ain't no good at serving Jesus. They ain't no good at trying to win people to Jesus. They ain't no good at being a comfort to each other. These basically ain't no good as a believer, but guess what? They're saved. And you know what? That will not nullify their salvation. But when they get to heaven and they stand before their Savior, they look him in the eyes, they're going to have to answer for their behavior after they got saved. Not their sin, but their 
living for Christ or not. Paul do good or bad? What would you say? Paul do good or Paul do bad? Huh? He did good, didn't he? I think he did good. I mean, it was, he made some he made some choices that he shouldn't have made, but <clears throat> I think Paul can look back and say I did good because the answer to his questions was believers like the Christians at Thessalonica. Did they turn out for God? I'd say they did, wouldn't you? So I'd say he did good, amen? He wasn't content. Just he, Paul didn't say, well, I believe on Jesus. That's good enough for me, y'all. I mean, it's fantastic to be saved. Don't get me wrong. It's wonderful to know that you know that you, when you die, you're going to heaven. But Paul said his real joy would be in his heart as soon as he stood in the presence of the Lamb of God, the one that loved him, the one that died for him on the cross, the great joy, the real joy would be his spiritual children whom he would bring with him, whom he had led to know Jesus as their Savior. Can you imagine Paul getting to heaven and the crowd that he would get to come and rally around him? Jesus, I brought all these to you. Can you imagine? What's your crowd going to look like? What's your crowd going to look like? Let me ask you a question. I'm not expecting an answer, but I want you to think about this question. If you're saved this morning, have you ever led one single person to Jesus Christ? I'm going to let that hang out there for just a minute. You might say, well, I'm not, an, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not good at sharing my faith with other people. I'm not good at talking. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried? I I agree with you. Not all believers are called to be evangelists. Not all believers have the, the, the gift of evangelism. But I can tell you this, every single believer that's ever drawn a breath is called by God to be a witness for Christ. Not everybody's called travel from church to church and whole revival meetings. But Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and listen close. I've read it before, but I'm going to read it again. The Bible said, and he, that's God, gave some apostles. We don't have apostles anymore. He gave some prophets. Now, as far as prophets, I don't know that we have prophets necessarily. We might, we might call some prophets. But, but he said, and he gave some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So God called and ordained these people to preach the gospel, all right? To, but here's what all here's what they're called to do. Now listen, here he tells us verse 12. What are they called for? For the perfecting of the saints. Jackie, how long have you been at McDonald's? Two months maybe, three, five months. When you went there, did somebody train you on what to do, how you didn't burn yourself, and how you, you know, they taught you how to make the machinery work? Okay. They were perfecting you as an employee there. That's what they were doing. They were managing you. They were, right, they were training you. You worked there. That's what they were doing. They were training her in leadership how to work at the company. All right? So 
kind of what the pastor, the evangelist, the, the teacher does. We're equipping you with the information and teaching you and training you how to win people to Jesus Christ. Well, let's see what it says. Perfecting of the saints, what for? For the work of the ministry. Saints, that's everybody in here that's saved. Saints are for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying means built up. Somebody tell me how the body of Christ is edified or built up. Huh? People getting saved, that's the only way it can get built up, get bigger, and, and, and increase, enlarge is by people getting saved. Right. So God loves to use those who are willing to be used. And there is sleeping in many Christians a gift for leading people to Jesus, and they don't even realize it. It's laying there dormant in you. Almost anybody in the world can give out gospel tracts. There's no excuse. Again, I had a guy come to Paris years ago, back right, probably about 2001, and um, he, he was sitting in a wheelchair. He couldn't speak. Couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't hear. Couldn't speak. Sitting in a wheelchair. And I asked the people who brought him with him, I said, how is he going to witness to anybody? He's got a card. He's got questions on it. He hands it to them, and they answer that. Answer him back. He points to the question, and they answer. He doesn't have. They don't. He don't have to talk. So you say, I don't know what to say. You don't even have to talk. You point. He did. I knew another guy. He had a, he had a van. He was crippled. He couldn't get out and walk. So he drove to Walmart parking lot. He went to a neon sign company. He had a neon sign made. It plugged in a cigarette lighter. It said, "How to go to heaven," and had an arrow pointing to the car, to the door of the car. A van he sent me. He hung it on his rearview mirror. Parked in Walmart parking lot. People come up to his window. He witnessed to him. Led people to Jesus all the time. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say anybody can do it. Any Christian can do it. Any Christian can pray. Any Christian can give of their substance to missions. Any Christian can invite a person to church where the gospel is going to be preached and presented. Anybody can do that. God can use us in many ways to lead people to Jesus if we just get serious about it and take him at his word. Because when the glad day comes and we're all in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, guess what? If we do that, we'll all have some trophies of grace. We'll all have something in order to give back to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's that old gospel song that says, Will there be any stars in my crown, in my crown, when the evening and the sun goeth down? And let's see, I can't remember the words, but anyway. Will there be any stars in my crown? You know what the Bible says, He that winneth, he that winneth souls is wise. And over in Daniel 12, 3, it says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That's what it's referring to, is leading people to Jesus, to save the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the stars and our crown that the Lord would give to us. When Paul said, you are my crown of rejoicing, that's what he's referring to. That's one of the crowns that will be awarded to us as believers when we stand before Jesus as the crown of rejoicing for having led people to Jesus Christ. Is that crown in your future? Or are you going to pass that one up? I'm almost... Well, I'm tempted to say that I've heard the story of a Methodist church and a Baptist church. They had to meet together one night because one the power was out in one of them's building, and they sat Methodist sat on one side and the Baptist sat on the other. And 
The Methodist saying, will there be any, I mean, the Baptist saying, will there be any stars in my crown? The Methodist saying, no, not one, no, not one. But But I hope there'll be some stars in your crown. Amen. I really hope there'll be some stars in you. But there won't be unless unless you're a soul winner for Jesus. And that sounds daunting, but it's really not because God does all the heavy lifting. He only asks you to open your mouth and begin to talk. Pray first, but open your mouth and begin to talk. Paul said, when that day comes, I'm going to be exalted. I'm, listen, God's going, to, God's going to reward me. God's going, to, God's going to reward me for the work, the labor that I've done. You know what else he's saying? I'm not going to remember the struggle with the devil either. Hey, when I get up there and I see you and I present you to Jesus, you're my joy. You're the glory. You're the crown. You're what I did it for. This is why I struggled. This is why I took the beating. This is why I took the imprisonment. This is why I was mocked. This is why my family hated me. This is why I was a laughing stock and a, and a scourge of the earth. Why? Because of you. Jesus, I did this all for you. Amen. Will there be any stars in your crown? I was saying, I'm going to be rewarded for this. Why? Because you Thessalonians came to know the Lord Jesus Christ through my ministry to you. In that day, will we be able to look at the saved who got saved through our ministry, through our testimony? Will we be able to stand there with Paul and say to a group of people, you are my glory? And my joy. Will you be able to say that? I question that today. I ask you that today to contemplate on that thought. Will there be anybody there because of you? And if you if you if you could say with me today, no, or may I, not with me, but if you if your your answer is no today, all hope is not lost because Jesus is coming back, but He's not back yet. And even if, as the song I sang earlier. If it was just one soul, then it's all been worth it. Amen? Jesus, he left where he was at and walked some 30-something miles for one soul. That woman at Sychar's well that nobody else wanted anything to do with it because she was a tramp as far as they were concerned. The whole town looked at her as a a nasty, fallen woman. But Jesus walked walked 30-something miles out of his way just to witness and share the message of salvation with her. What have you done to go out of your way? And will you go out of your way for the souls of men and women, boys and girls? That's my that's my question to you today. I'm going to leave you with that. Let's stand together. <clears throat> and we're going to sing number 153 in just a moment. We're going to sing, I surrender some. I mean, I surrender all is what it says. I say that tongue-in-cheek. I I, I quoted A.W. Tozer this past week. He said, Christians don't tell lies. They come to church and sing. That's hard. That hurt me when I read that. Because I realized we sang a lot of songs in this book we don't know. Song that I surrender all. That's what God wants. He doesn't want part of it. He wants all of it. And I promise you, He'll never, He'll never mishandle you. You'll never look back and say, God, you mistreated me. No, God will never mishandle you. Give Him your all. 
surrender yourself to him today, and you'll begin to live. Amen? Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you're blessed. Father, I pray, Lord, that you speak to hearts now. Lord, help us to see the urgency, the lateness of the hour, that your return is imminent. Lord, it's so in the balance. Father, I pray you give us the confidence to step out and speak up to you. Lord, use us now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>
and I believe the Lord's return is imminent. It could be in the next nine days because the Feast of Trumpets concludes on September the 27th. Now, again, I'm not telling you you got nine days left, but I'm saying what if you only have nine days left? If you knew that, would you live different between now and then? That's next Tuesday. That's not two days from now. That's a week and two days. If you if you knew that, would you live different? Would you read your Bible every day? Would you pray faithfully? Would you try to witness to somebody? Would you invite somebody to church? Would you make sure you were in church Wednesday night and Sunday next week? I mean, I think we'd live different. We ought to live every week like that. We ought to live every day like that because his coming is imminent. Amen? All right. just wanted to throw that out there. just want to get your mind on it and get you thinking because you just don't know. Amen. Let's go 